Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. How did, how did it feel to, yeah, to be the only white person in the family unit? Well, I guess that question kind of starts, how, how did it feel to marry a black person when you're from a white family? It was a watershed moment in our, our entire family. And so, yeah, I brought two people in the world that have huge challenges that I never, ever had to face. Betcha and I can walk into a room together and we'll have a completely different experience of that room. Sometimes it's good. Yeah. Sometimes it's not good. Kia ora, we're your hosts, Julie and Sarade. We travelled around Aotearoa with our soundie Joey meeting immigrant whānau, listening to stories and discovering what is said or not said between different generations. These stories warmed our hearts and broke our hearts. And over this series, we invite you two to listen in on conversations with my immigrant parents. In this episode, we are with the Waisto Santos Fano and Tetai Rafati. We have Mum Mara, who is from San Diego in California in the US, and Dad Beto, who is from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Mara and Beto are DJs, and in the conversation, we are sitting in the house truck just behind their family home where Mara and Beto make music. Their son Jamil is with them in person, but his older sister Jazz is video calling into the conversation from Tamaki Makoto as she was isolating due to her flatmate having COVID. So you may hear at times Jazz's audio sounding a little different. Both Jazz and Jamil moved to Tamaki at 18 for uni. Jazz moved seven years ago and Jamil just this year. Just a note, this episode includes reference to sexual content. My daughter is 25 years old and her name is Jasmine Huasto Santos. Her middle name is Moana. Moana. We chose that name for her when she was born right next to the ocean. Our son's name is Jamil Shiloh Weiss dos Santos, and he's 18. 18. Unbelievable. They're grown up now, but they are just, of course, as parents, we think they're the most amazing people in the world, but they really are the most amazing people in the world, aren't they? Well, I would say that Jazz is definitely very responsible because you remember when she was little, when she traveled so much, you know, because we were traveling a lot. We were going back and forth to the States on like almost every year. Yeah. And so she just had so much learning and experiences and when she was really, really young. Yeah, she grew up in a music festival. Jamil, always really funny, really happy all the time. And he was just a, an adrenaline junkie when he was little. Remember, he used to have that tricycle and he would take it all the way to the top of the hill oh and he would God. just ride it down and he'd be going so, so fast. This is, he'd be like three, four years old. I was so scared. I know, we're <laughs> like, he's going to crash, but he never crashed. Never crashed. <laughs> wow. Our parents' names are Mara and Beto. There's a different spectrum between the two. Uh, my mom is more lenient towards, like, letting us leave the house or 
when it comes to decision-making where my father's more strict. Would you agree with that, Jazz? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say that there's definitely, like, a cultural difference in the way that they were brought up. And I guess that there's been a massive cultural difference in the way that we were brought up as well. Even a difference between our genders as well. But what are they like? Dad's very political. He's very, very passionate politically left-leaning. He gets very fired up about the world and about the state of the world. It really does get him down sometimes, which it's sad to see. Yeah. But is hopeful for the future as well. Mum, she's very warm, very kind-hearted, a very good listener, also of a very, very creative mind, loves to write. Mara's parents, Norm and Diana, first came to Aotearoa in 1989, when Norm started as a teacher at Gisborne Girls High School. At the time, Mara was at university in California, but she went to an environmental conference in Brazil in 1992 and decided to stay on in Brazil for a bit longer, and that's where she later met Beto. Beto and Mara lived in Brazil for a few years before Mara's parents asked them to come to Gisborne when Mara was pregnant with Jazz. It was a shock for me. <laughs> I remember I always ask Mara, where's the people? <laughs> well, where's the people go? People hide here? <laughs> I see a lot of houses where I knew it, but always walking the streets, nobody going to beach, nobody ask about what the people? What's going on? <laughs> Rio de Janeiro, have a, my neighbor have like 500,000 people, probably more now, millions. San Francisco, always traffic, always people everywhere, people on the streets. Yeah, when, when did it start feeling more natural and more like feeling like home here? I think when we moved into this house, because when we first came over, we were staying with my parents. And so that was always feeling quite like, it was great. But, it was, but yeah, <laughs> always feeling a bit awkward and not having our own personal space. When we managed to get the house here and started settling in here, that's when I think for me, it started feeling like home. That's right. Yeah. The more that you work on a house, the more it feels like home. So this house, when we first got it, it was one of those things where the house was moved on a truck and it was like brought from another place and and plopped down on this property. I have a strong memory of the day that the house got moved onto the property. We were driving behind it and it was just like this giant house moving through the entire city and everyone stopping and watching as it like edged through the tiny streets and through the cul-de-sac. When it was put onto the land, it was just so weird because it felt so disconnected. Like it felt like the house didn't actually belong there for a while to me. But as we slowly, you know, built the the deck around it, chopped all of the long grass and connected the house truck to the house, then yeah, it started to feel a little bit more homely. Yeah, I remember a few weeks before Jamil born here on the living room, I decided to put in the house so I connect to the house. Because I say, where's Jamil going to have a room? Where can I do my music? We practice and play 
making music on the living room. Jamil was coming, and the house gonna be really small. What can I do? We don't have money for build another room. None of the kids ever enjoyed having their own bed. <laughs> <laughs> they were unable to sleep in their own bed. So wake up in the middle of the night. I see the little head is here in the middle. Of... <laughs> What's that? <laughs> little foot on your on your face. <laughs> so wait, where um where did the house truck originally come from? What was Damien build yeah. that? So that's my uncle. Uh, your yeah. uncle Damon, who passed away before you were born. He moved over here to New Zealand with my parents in 1989 when they moved from America over here. So he went to high school here and Damon was like a super alternative guy. And he lived in this truck, in this, in the, he lived, he built this and he lived here on this property off the grid. He had no electricity and he like had, remember that? He had this, this bike, exercise bike, which he hooked up a car alternator to it and then it charged up these truck batteries and then he had lights and stuff in the night and he could hear have his stereo on and stuff. Like five minutes exercise so you have the free power on the nights. Yep. Yes. He I tried it a few times. Yeah, yeah, you had to pedal pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. So he was amazing and he was building all sorts of interesting inventions and um he 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 lived here and then Sadly, he passed away in an accident in 2001. What made you feel the need to move after my uncle died? Something happened was a signal. Somebody tell for us our life's going to change. Yeah, well, like when, obviously, you get the bad news and you come back. Came back and he had his funeral and everything, and then... We like returned to the US, but then we just felt like we couldn't stay there anymore, that we just had to come back and be with my parents and support them through this and be together as a family. It's really sad, eh? It is so sad. And you hear the way that Mara talks about her brother, you know, how much she still misses him. Mm, yeah. And just how one single event can kind of shape a whole family's whole trajectory. Mm. It is definitely interesting to think about all of the myriad reasons why people might come here and how this is just a very valid one and it's something that we don't consider. And they really rose to the occasion, I think, you know, and really thought about what would be best for everyone and mm. and came back because of that. And that involved putting aside some of their own kind of music dreams mm. maybe to um, move to a small town on the East Coast. So the family officially moved to Gisborne in 2001. What was it like for you kids growing up in this house and in this area of Gisborne, which is technically a low-income area with lots of issues and challenges like gang activity and all sorts of other issues? Like, what was that like for you kids? It was quite interesting. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of... Things that happened, like getting barked at by grown men. It would be like... I mean, didn't you get attacked by a dog, Jess? Almost, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I never felt unsafe, though. You know, you guys were like, oh, be careful on the street. You know, there's the mongrel mob house there, there's the drug house there, and there's the house with those dogs there. And I, But I never felt unsafe. We kind of, like, kept to ourselves in the neighborhood because we were different. Like we were the only family that was 
immigrant family. So we didn't like reach out very much to the neighbors. Like, what do you guys think that was the right approach or not? One thing that I've learned moving away from home is that community is so important. No matter where you go, connecting to your neighbors is so important and invaluable because you never know when you're going to need help. Yeah, I remember Michael, he have a police almost like a few times a year at his house, but he always good. But something happened, I don't know if I tell you guys, that was a long time ago, Jimmy was a baby. Mike, he was a monger mob, but he was very tough. He have a everyday police at his door. He lived across the street, yeah? He left the house because the police was looking for him. He always moaned alone, but he was not moaned alone. It was huge. I say, well, why is no more alone? So I did it was put Jamil in the backpack, on the back, go to his house. <laughs> I'm on his lawn. I don't know, give me this crazy idea. I'm gonna mow this lawn. When I finished the mowing the lawn, he show up and knocked on the door. Do, 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 do. Hey Beth, hi. Why are you mowing the lawn? I'm on your lawn because you don't have a the machine, the, the, the has called the... Lawnmower. Lawnmower. Wow. Everybody call me. <laughs> Everybody call me. You saw this black guy with a baby in the back? He mowed my lawn. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, can't believe it. Everybody talk. Always he's come and talk to me. He say, oh, well, you go away, go to do the show. Oh, don't worry, I'm watch your house. People around here, they start to talk to me, but with respect. Say, hey, Kiara, bro, Kiara, 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 Kiara. And they always, Mike, it was really friendly. Before he died, he asked Jamil for his mound in loan. Yeah. That was the because I mound his loan. He know he died the next day. He come to you and give you the money for you. He remembered it. Yeah. I didn't even realize until, like, when you told me that story again. You remember he come and say, fuck you, yeah, ask yeah. yourself for Mondelong? Yeah, I was happy to do it. I was like, oh. He know he's going to die. He was happy for finish his life. But before he died, he asked you for Mondelong. <laughs> I was curious, Jamil, just because, like, I feel like a large chunk of my life was spent in the US and I have very fond memories of being there and connecting with the people there. But you weren't born or you were really young. Did you ever feel like you were missing out on having that as being part of your life? Uh, not really. I mean... I do have, like, some memories of, like, being in the U.S., like, being in some, like, caravan thing. I don't know, being a baby crawling around. What? How do you feel about Brazil then? Like, because you've been to Brazil more than you've been to the States. Mm. I feel more connected to Brazil because I discovered more in Brazil. I was a very closed-off child. I learned the birds and bees by myself. 
you guys did not tell me how to what you 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 guys <laughs> oh, didn't no. teach me the you, do you know what the birds and bees are about s e x oh y'all didn't teach me I learned from Brazil. <laughs> Like, how, did, how did Brazil teach you that? No, well, because, like, kids my age or a little bit older, they would be like, sex? Sex? <laughs> and I'm like, huh? <laughs> and, like, I, this isn't the first time telling anyone, but I, I was seven. There were pornography channels on TV. I know. Like, Brazil. like I was like, this was like six in the morning. And, oh, like, no. so, so I was just, like, flicking through channels and... And there was this one, there was this one <laughs> channel, and it started off like with people speaking English, and I was like, "Oh, English! This is, oh, this no. is amazing! <laughs> this is amazing! Like, oh, no. I can actually understand this." And I'm just watching there chilling. It was like, "Oh, this is kind of boring." <laughs> and then one second flick to another, it was just like full on. Oh, and no. I'm just like, "Oh God!" You know why? Because it was at the Gato Net. Oh, before Elsa House. Yeah, yeah, it was at Vivaldi's oh, no. house. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. I really had no reaction. I was like, kind of shocked. I was like, Oh God! Huh. How did we let that happen? Um, I realized because they had no pants on. I feel like it was bad to watch it. Yeah. Like I, I felt I had some nerve like that it was bad to watch it. So I like quickly turned it off before any of you saw. And like I was just so confused. <laughs> oh no! Like, and then after that. Going to middle school, it, yeah, then I just learned from friends. That went on a tangent that I didn't expect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Mom, there were, like, a couple times where um, you would come with me into, like, middle school or high school even. Like, a day later or, like, after you leave, they would be like, are you adopted? They would ask me if I'm adopted or, like, Asked me, oh, who was that? And I was like, that's my mom. I was like, that's your mom. I'm like, yeah, that's that's my mother. <laughs> they would they would get pretty confused, and it was quite funny. I had similar things too. Like at intermediate, after a student teacher conference, I remember my drama teacher. She was like, oh, was so that was your mother? And I was like, yep, that's my mom. And she's like, oh, I expected her to be a little bit more, you know, and like did this like this like booty shake thing. Oh. I expected her to be a little bit like more, you know, and I was like, uh, no, I no. don't know. <laughs> oh my God. But it stuck with me. It stuck with oh me. Oh my like, shit. So like, I guess for you, <laughs> how, how did it feel to, yeah, to be the only white person in the family unit? Well, I guess that question kind of starts, how, how did it feel to marry a black person when you're from a white family? Thankfully, my parents are pretty good. When they got the news, they were possibly shocked, but were very supportive and loving of both of us. Some other parts of my family are not quite so open and Yeah, and accepting. I, remember you, I remember your grandmother called your father say, don't let them have a babies. Don't let have a baby. You fall on the phone, talk to you, his mother. He like, oh no, it's gonna be alright. You know, normal's like, oh, yeah, mom, no, nah, yeah, no baby, yeah, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> oh no, and you are already pregnant. <laughs> oh my god. And then I met your grandmother. She was lovely person, and she's completely changed her 
point of view. A Philosophia, racist, racist attitudes. Racist. Yeah, yeah. Like my grandmother's, my dad's mother grew up in Alabama. Yeah, she came from a type of a culture where segregation was. Um, she was redneck. Yeah, look, they grew up on a farm in Alabama. We'll just we'll just leave we'll just leave it at that. Um, so yeah, for her, segregation was a part of her upbringing. She later moved to Chicago and then moved to California. There's a whole history of our family being racist, and even on my mom's side, like her dad was from Texas. So our marriage was breaking the wall. Yeah, it was a watershed moment in our our entire family, and so. The amount of love that you have for your kids overshadows everything. Yeah, I brought two people in the world that have huge challenges that I never, ever had to face. Betcha and I can walk into a room together and we'll have a completely different experience of that room. He will get like vibes and looks from people and I'll get a completely, have a completely different experience just based on the fact that I'm white. Sometimes it's good. Yeah. Sometimes not good. Exactly. It, it continues, like, even even in, in everyday life, even yeah. to now. Like, And I just have to try to be, like, hypersensitive because sometimes I'm not even sensitive to it. And I have to apologize to you because sometimes you'll bring things to my attention and I'll be like, nah, 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 it couldn't be. And But if you've experienced it, it's truth. That's just, like, a microcosm of, you know, whiteness in the world. Most white people think that it, you know, it doesn't exist or it exists in a much lower scale than it actually does because they've never lived it. I like what Mara says here about if you've experienced it, it's true. Because mm. I think that, you know, lots of what racists try and get us to do is to prove that we've experienced mm. racism or to give numbers and data and whatever, mm. but it is as simple as... If you say something happened to you, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of shows her whole um, attitude towards mm. being part of this family is like she understands that she has this white privilege and she's open to the fact that she's still learning. Um, it's not that she totally understands everything now, but she's going to be open to listening to if something's, if someone's saying that this is their experience, this is happening. Mm. Yeah, there are instances where she still doesn't see it and, and it doesn't make her a bad person. It's just about acknowledging her position. Just interesting how recent like segregation was a part of her family history and her grandmother is part of that. It's not that far in the past that we have had major overt structures of racism like segregation. I also think about the legacy of that and how that is so deep. Mm. And Mara has had to do so much work clearly to unlearn this or to void it from herself, mm. you know, and she clearly has. But those things like run very deep. Where Mara is now in her family is actually pretty incredible. But I also think that racist legacies and colonial legacies sit in our blood in the same way that legacies of trauma sit yes. inside us. Yes. I'll just put it out there. I think that both of the kids like have had issues with being subject to discrimination and racism and stuff. Like still to this day, I'm not I'm not like truly friends with a black person, like another black person. 
it's kind of weird. Like I've never had that sort of that 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 bond with someone. There's always like a culture difference. There's no one that I'm friends with that I could relate to along the lines of like racism, where they've experienced like the same amount of racism or less or more racism than me. Yeah, I've never been able to like relate to someone on that way, living in New Zealand, basically. Yeah, remember that time in primary school, I was arguing with this kid because I was like, "We no, we won because you know you guys were cheating and captured the flag or some shit." Out of nowhere, he said, "Well, at least I'm not black." I was just like, "What?" Like, and then I like cried to the teacher. And I remember the teacher like. She didn't, she was like, calm down to me. I'm like, there are lots of others. Like, just just not being included in things and like, like saying, no, you can't play with us. And like, they wouldn't say it. They would give me that look. It's easy to have lots of friends of all different backgrounds and all different upbringings and stuff. And like, it only goes to a certain level. You don't want to disregard that friendship because of that. You can't just be like, oh, I can't be you know, as close with this person because they haven't experienced all the same things as me because no one ever does. But it's still feeling like you can have that shared, I don't want to say trauma, but shared trauma and, and not have to sort of explain things like being able to just, just, yeah, just to know it. Yeah, no, I get you. But I remember, Jamil, I think it was only last year, in your last year of school that you had that altercation with one of your teachers at high school. Oh, yeah. I just remember hearing about it when you are telling me on the phone and being like, man, I'm so proud of how he handled that, you know? Like, he was able to pull up a person of authority and sit them down in a room full of adults and be like, that was not okay, and what you said to me was not okay. It doesn't matter who you are, but um, I'm a person... I just remember feeling very proud of how you handled that. And it was a big comfort for me to know that you'll be able to handle yourself out in the world once you move away from home. Yeah, no, I remember that pretty vividly. I was in my form class and I noticed like this girl left to like go be with her friends in another classroom. And so when she left, everything was like all good. She asked the teacher, oh, can I go to da 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 she was like, yep, you can go. And then I was like, oh, can I please go to my friend's form class and just hang out there? And then she was like, no. And I'm like, why is that? It's because you're dodgy. And I was like, wait, why do you think I'm dodgy? And she was like, oh, because you're black. And I'm like, I didn't say a thing. I was like, my mind just went blank. I was like, I didn't say anything. I just turned around and left. That whole moment was just like, what the actual, like, this is not okay. And then I formally, like, made a complaint to one of the teachers. This is, like, not okay. It's either we are going to, like, sit down and talk about this or I'm going to put it on the media. I don't care. I have no remorse for any of you. I will put you on blast. I'm not going to show my emotions showing that, but I want to do something about it. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. She got scared. Yeah, no, she got scared. She said sorry to you, yep. apologize and everything. And then remember how she was saying how she didn't remember? Oh, yeah. On the phone? She was like, oh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And I'll, we, all of us in the car were just like, what? What? Sorry that you feel 
that way. We, oh, like, if she said that again, oh, no, nah, it would have been over. She would have gone like. I don't know about you, Jazz, but like, I get so many people being like, oh, wait, your parents are like Brazil B Day. And I'm like, yep. Oh, they're so cool. I would be so happy if my parents were DJs. Like, that'd be... And I'm like, ha, uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> how, how about you help them sit up for, like, three hours <laughs> and all that? But, like, honestly, it is pretty cool. Saying that my parents are DJs to, like, people that are, like, first meeting, they're like, oh, that's cool. Y'all are pretty famous in Gisborne, aren't you? People, yeah, like you're well, no, 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 well known in Gisborne. I, I should say well known in Gisborne. A lot of people ask about you and Jazz too. Yeah. Whenever we do a gig, people are always asking, "Oh, how's Jazz? How's Jamil? I haven't seen him." Jamil's here. Jamil's here. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely interesting. Not long ago, when Mum and Dad saw my new place for the first time, and my flatmates' friends were like, "Oh." Are those your parents? They're like, oh, I thought those were your homies. And I was like, homies? yeah, I guess they are homies. my homies. Friends. <laughs> your friends. Really? Yeah, growing up, it was definitely interesting because it was all like, oh, your parents must be, you know, so laid back. They they must, you know, let you do all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, they're still, they're still parents, you know, <laughs> like just because what they do for a job, it doesn't make them any more lenient than the other parent. And I know that whenever I'm home, like, you guys really love it when I come to your gigs and stuff. I must say, like, it is hard for me to be in those environments because I, I don't like being in those environments. Like, I don't like being in a club. I don't like pretending that I'm dancing and having a good time. Like, it's just not my <laughs> idea of fun. Oh, that's how I feel. Um, I like, that's it's like, I it's like, I can't, I, ca I can't deal with it. When I was in, at uni, when I was, you know, when I was 18 and I was, you know, doing all that stuff like that, I I thought it was fun. But now I just, I really, I have no patience for it anymore. And so, like, I really do feel like I have to force myself to go and support, but I feel <laughs> deeply uncomfortable in those spaces. But it is beautiful to see you guys, like, do your thing. Clubs for us is a practice. But yeah. I completely understand your taste, your feeling about we have a parents play music. And I decided my life was the, my priority in my life was you and me. My father was a musician. Uh, my mother have uh, my brother and me. He'd say, no, my music is a priority. I'm sorry. I'm going to get out of the house. He don't want to have a family. He want to play music every night. But I learned that it was not cool because I suffered a lot because my mother was work on the morning, afternoon, and the night. She had teacher. She used to have uh, three jobs for survive the life in Rio de Janeiro. When I, I feel that, I say, no, why wanna be a, a famous musician and leaving my kids alone? For me, I was, my kids was a priority more under my music. Now you guys grow up and you have a life. I was so happy 
now I start to come back and say, oh, I can do it more, my music. I can do more work. Mm. You know? Definitely. I hope you guys understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did in my job. Oh, totally. I still need to do a little bit more for Jamil, but he started to do it like himself. What? Like what? I think he just means that you're. you're yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get what you mean. I Jazz is like fully pain. independent. I want it to be a pain. And just yeah, you're that. gonna be like that. <laughs> you're gonna be like that, Jazz too. Yeah, you know. Like after uni, I'm coming back. Mm. I want to take care of Norman Dina. We put everything together. Yeah. You know, you guys are adult now. We can talk, but I express my feeling. You express your feeling. We can come to one conclusion because that was. More than 20 years or 25 years. That's right. And one time your mother said, oh, she put her hands on the stomach and said, I'm pregnant. I said, oh, I need to put more water in my beans. No, somebody else coming. <laughs> it's a Brazilian saying, there's always room for one more. Just put a little bit of water in the beans. Make it go further. Yeah, there's always enough. You don't have to worry as a teenager, I didn't feel as trusted in, like, living here. There were lots of times where I felt like I wanted to live in Norman Diners because I did not feel respected. Like, I did not. It is what it is. Like, throughout high school, I just wanted peace. I mean, I'm not saying that I was the perfect child. Of course I did stuff that was, like, bad. Like, there were things that I did that were wrong, obviously. But it was because I was like, oh, they don't trust me anyway. Yeah, it gave me more of a motive to do it because it's like, oh, they don't really trust me anyway. I'll just do it. I'm sorry if you feel that way, but, you know... It's not always how you think. I will say, Jamil, like, I totally see what you're saying. I fully acknowledge the way that you felt. But I will say, I walked so you could run. Yeah, yeah, I understand <laughs> like, that. I took the brunt of the strict parents. You were able to, like, go out and drink when you were, like, 15, 16. You were able to mm. have girlfriends that lived in different towns and they would come and stay in your room and, like, you could go out and pretty much do whatever. I couldn't dream of doing stuff like that your age, you know? Like, there is no way that if I had said, oh, hey, mum and dad, um, even though I'm only 15, my friends are having this party and there's going to be drinking and there's going to be boys there and stuff like, can I go and can I stay? It would have been like, uh, mm -mm, no, mm -mm. Really? And so I didn't even bother to ask. Oh, you're supposed to ask it. <laughs> oh, God. Mm. And so I guess I understand your feelings, Jamil. I think the way that you and I are treated was quite different because of our genders. Yeah. And I think that's a also a, a cultural difference as well. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm always thinking of things that I or we could have improved in in parenting. I would say that Betchel's parenting philosophy is quite different to my parenting philosophy. Um, and if we had been parenting solo, 
then it would have been completely different the way that we did parenting. Um, but because we're together, um, we had to, tr we had to try to compromise, compromise and try to make, you know, try to make it work. Maybe there was some things that maybe didn't, didn't make sense. At the end of the day, like the, at the very core of everything, it was just like all love. Like we just wanted to do the very, very best that we could for the, for the kids. For the situation. For the we situation. Live. We learn a lot. We have learned a lot. And then I learned a lot how to talk to Jamil. I learned a lot how respect him, how make him trust me. Sometimes he coming with different conclusion. I was upset, but after that I say, oh no, I need to understand his point of view. We're still learning. I always appreciate when we have a conversation on the podcast that doesn't end in a resolution mm. because I think that is just so Part like so life. many of our lives that we have things in our families. They don't necessarily come to a conclusion that's good for everyone, but that's kind of just life. A family being able to do that on a podcast is quite yeah amazing, really. Quite generous to yeah, open yeah. up a maybe vulnerable part of a conversation in your family. Mm. The kind of families that we have on the podcast come to us because they have relatively good relationships with their parents or their children. Mm. And so the conversations flow a bit easier, but we know that there are kind of complicated situations within families and those are the families that probably wouldn't stick their hand up to say yes or come on your podcast. So mm. any time that we are able to dig into some tensions or disagreements, then it feels like that's a really special place to be able to get to in a short time. Yeah, it feels like closer to life itself, which is mm. what we're trying to do on this podcast day. Eh? Also really liked listening to both parents acknowledging that parenting is a journey and that there's, of course, things that they would do differently mm. if they could. And I think we were lucky to be there at a point where both their kids have left with one only recently, so it's like they're coming to terms with a new phase of parenting as well. Mm. I feel like I never really, like, came out to my family. Like, I, I think I came out to Jamil. Yeah. I think we had lunch together and I... Explain no, to him. It was, that at, I, it was at the Wainui um, Surf Club. Remember? We were standing on the balcony and you told me, Paige is my girlfriend of like two years. And I was like, <gasps> <laughs> Remember? No, I remember a different time when you came to visit in Auckland. But oh, oh, yeah. for me, I personally didn't know that I wasn't straight till I was like 18. It was not something that I thought when I was in high school at all. It was something that I discovered about myself when I moved out. I think it was good that I figured that out while I was learning to be an adult as well. It was not something that I expected to be a thing for myself. Um, I was still coming to terms with it internally. And so to deal with other people's reactions to it was really difficult. Like even my closest friends that I went to uni with, they didn't know. 
for the longest time. And then they got quite angry at me, actually, when I didn't tell them because they were like, we literally live with you. We see you every day. We hang out (laughs) with you and Paige all the time. Why didn't you just say anything? It's not that I didn't trust anyone. It was like I was trying to deal with that conflict within myself first to feel comfortable in myself first. And it took a while for me to be able to do that. But once I did, I felt a lot better. One thing you forgot, because before you say something about your relationship, and we yeah. already, already feel that. And you already knew. Yeah, I was not shocked. Yeah. You know. But when you say, I was beautiful. But we all know. You guys do everything together. For us, I was like pretty normal. You know, I was yeah. not shocked at all. Nothing, you know. But we feel like you're much more comfortable, happy, and safe. That was the more important. It yeah. was not drama. That was awesome. Like, what more could a parent want for their child than to have a supportive partner? Dream response to mm-hmm. introducing your girlfriend to your parents. I think that um, you and I can relate so much to realising queerness at a later stage or, like, living in our queerness at a later stage in life. Although I don't even really know, like, what's late and what's not. Mm. But it is just such a journey. And this thing that Jazz says about, like, having to come to terms with her queerness for herself first before she could share it with other people. I think that's just such a, it's just very common experience. I also think that that is something that I'm the opposite about. Like I feel like my favourite thing about myself is that I'm queer Mm. because thank God, you know. (laughs) It was always me being down with it. Maybe I was just always in queer spaces that were so white. It was like I couldn't identify with anyone, so I didn't really know how to be about it. Yeah. I relate a lot to what Jazz is saying about waiting until you've kind of figured it out for yourself before being able to talk with people. I think I'm still figuring it out, mm-hmm. and that's why I'll talk one-on-one with people about things, but mm-hmm. I I guess it's like the commitment to naming it, this idea of like queer imposter syndrome, like feeling mm-hmm. like you're not, you don't present a certain way, you haven't lived enough experiences, and that relates to what Jazz is saying, like when you realise your queerness as an adult, You feel like there's people who've known you a certain way and Mm. it's a different experience and maybe there's less support that way. There's in one way there's a bit more support for young people and less for those who are still figuring it out. And I wish there was more room for people who are still trying to work things out. More understanding of like the liminal space. Mm -hmm. When you come out as one thing and the pressure to stick to that sort of label and then having to... Again and again, as you are figuring it out, because it's all fluid and people's identities change all the time. Yes. I think a lot of children have queerness placed on them because of the way they present to the world. And it's almost like that decision of when to identify as queer gets taken away from them. You and I, and maybe Jazz too, I don't know, like we're able to live in the world as straight-passing people you know, and so it was more in our hands when we got to to change that. And really mm. it's something that should never be taken away from anyone. Mm. 
home for me is wherever I am. Home to me is wherever, wherever I feel like I can settle and be myself. Since I've moved away from home, I've lived in how many different flats, how many different living situations, some really nice, some tiny and uncomfortable and not very nice. But in every single one of those places, I've been able to make it my home. Wherever I end up in my life, whether it's back in Gisborne or still in Auckland or in a different country, I feel like I'll be able to make that home wherever I am. Yeah, I feel like home is a place where it's not like a a permanent place, a place where you're able to create your own space and where you feel comfortable being. I just see it as a place where I can be alone with myself and like be myself in that space and feel safe. Yeah. For me, home is like where you're with the people that you care about the most. But also it's like a connection to the land. I'm really, really super connected to growing things on this space, to walking barefoot on this particular land. And I feel like this land has become a part of me. So this place is home. Sometimes I got confused because I grew up in Brazil. I lived in America for a little while, not for a long time. And now I live in 25 years or 26 years here, it's really hard for me to say where my home. I don't know where my my home. But at the same time, when I come here, I feel safe, I feel comfortable. I don't know how to explain. My home is my everything. So thank you so much to this beautiful family for having us around, letting us go to your DJ gig at night. where Making it was us vegetable soup. Making us vegetable soup. I was going to say the gig was like pumping in it Gisborne. Was. It was the first gig I'd been to since COVID times. Oh, we wanted to say a big thank you also to Jazz yes. for being so professional. <laughs> Jazz works in the film industry as well, so we kind of lucked She out. had her whole setup, had the Zoom recording going, had mm-hmm. her actual little sound zoom recorder as well so many channels hooked up to joey our sound recordist that's why the recording sounds so good and we know that jazz really 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 wanted to be part of this so we just wanted to say thank you to the family for all making it work out even when we had those last minute hiccups come up we think the conversation ended up landing in a really good place You can check out photos and videos of all our families on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, on Instagram at Convos With My, online at tahi.fm or rnz.co.nz forward slash conversations, or follow the podcast on all major podcast providers. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced, and directed by Julie Zhu and Saray De Silva. If you wish, you can follow us at Saray De Silva or at Julie Zhu with two U's. Location recording by Joey Siasoko with additional recording for this episode by Jazz Dos Santos. Sound post-production by Emmy Pagoni. Music composed and produced by Tal, Shantani and Shalina Sandrin. And videos are edited by Josh Young. Our cover image is illustrated by Nga Mutani Jones and designed by Sonia Milford. A big mihi also to Tim Burnell and Jody Huani from RNZ Commissioning. 
Conversations with my immigrant parents was made possible with the support of New Zealand on air. He kōnai ipurangi tēnei matereo irirangi o Aotearoa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.